Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. Good morning, guys. So you can open up your Bibles and follow along with us, or it'll be up on the screen if you want to look up there. Okay. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father, that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, Tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked, leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why would you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die, and do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he has loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three hours to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy saying, go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them, then you are to come. For as the Lord lives, it is safe for you and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, Then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. 
The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty, and Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, you, son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from behind beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, said to David, oops, said that already, <laughs> saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. All right, thank you, Gerzax. I appreciate that. That was, uh, I've been studying this passage for months, and uh, it's even longer than I remember. So... Uh, I appreciate you reading that because the sermon would butt up right into that uh, Palm Sunday sermon had you not read that ahead of time, so I appreciate that. Um, so we're going to be in 1 Samuel 20, I believe it's on page 310 if you're using one of the pew Bibles. All right, I'm just going to open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship today. God, we pray through this long narrative that you would help us to see the truth of your word, Lord, um, this amazing friendship between Jonathan and David uh, and how they honor you with it, God. Um, pray that you would convict our hearts, Lord, that you would move us to action, that uh, at the end of this time that we would all have a deeper love for you and a deeper desire to serve you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I wanted to start if... You have uh, studied 1 Samuel before, this might make deeper sense to you, but if this is your first time kind of reading through 1 Samuel, you're probably quite confused. There's a lot of spear throwing, there is people trying to kill one another, there's an affection for the throne, 
but then Saul also tries to kill his son. There's a, a whole lot of things going on. And we, we're, we hear these stories uh, as children and sometimes as adults about David playing the liar, about David slaying Goliath, and then all of these different interactions with Saul. So what I want to do to start is I just want to quickly review from a chrono, uh, chronological perspective the life of David um, from the time he was born just up through where we are in 1 Samuel 20. So historians don't necessarily agree on all the specific dates, so this may not be 100% accurate. It's just for illustrative purposes just to kind of take in before we get into 1 Samuel 20 kind of really what has happened since David was born. Um, so David is born approximately after five years after Saul has been king. Uh, fast forward another five uh, that takes us to 1 Samuel 13, where Jonathan shows himself a mighty warrior, and this is one of the attempts where uh, Saul actually considers Jonathan, uh, having Jonathan killed. Uh, five years later, David is anointed by Samuel, so approximately 10 years old. Uh, a couple years after that, David serves Saul as a musician but he still continues to return home to his father's house, okay? So he's anointed first, and then playing the music second, and then after that, he defeats uh, Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. And that is right where the Jonathan and David scriptures begin, and we see that Jonathan becomes one spirit with him in 1 Samuel 18. A couple years after that, David is appointed the armor bearer to Saul, followed by uh, Saul banishing David from his court, yet making him the commander. And then Saul offers him the hand of daughter, uh, his daughter Michal as a snare. And that like, leads right up to where we're at uh, in 1 Samuel 19 from last week. So uh, David is fleeing from Saul um, to Samuel at Ramah. And we know that Saul, from, from last week, Saul had sent two groups of messengers to come and try to kill David. And then after they were successful, he, he went himself and tried to go get the job done. And it ended up a little differently than he expected. It ended up with him naked and prophesying. So uh, if that's not the start of a good episode of a drama, I don't know what is. The king is naked and prophesying. Um, so that's where we left off in chapter 19. And one thing we want to look at before we dig into what's going on in this narrative is we want to recap the friendship of David and Jonathan. So in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4, it says, David and Jonathan, I'm sorry, uh, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And this was signifying that he understood that David was going to be king. A few chapters later, he calls it out in an even more clear way where he knows that David is going to have the throne. And then in today's passage, we'll see David says to him, Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? Okay, so... With that in the backdrop, uh, as we go through this narrative, we're going to look at three important things. Their commitment to each other, David and Jonathan's commitment to the truth, and David and Jonathan's promise, I'm sorry, 
David and Jonathan's commitment to the Lord. Okay. So if we start in verse 1, David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And at this point, um, sorry, excuse me. David is checking the relationship. So he's asking, what exactly have I done? The nature of their friendship is one that allows feedback and allows honesty. And even though all of this chaos had taken place, David is coming back and saying, is there iniquity in me? Is there something that, uh, that I've done wrong? And you got to keep in mind, David, um, every, David and Jonathan both know the history with Saul. But after what happened at the end of 19, there has to be a window of opportunity there to say, okay, Saul may have been humbled um, the same way that we've seen you know, Nebuchadnezzar humbled in the past, um, and, and he's probably thinking, I can get back to my life. I can get back to the, to the, uh, castle, or, you know, to the, uh, the house with Saul and Jonathan, and even though the history would not predict that, right? Um, and Jonathan's response immediately is, far from it, you shall not die. And he, he goes on to say, why should my father hide anything from me? And we have to ask ourselves, right, how much would you trust someone that already tried to kill you multiple times? And I think we see in here that Jonathan is, you know, affirming that commitment to each other. He's saying that, uh, David, you are, I am still your loyal friend, but through it, I think David, or uh, Jonathan is going through a little bit of what I would call relationship blindness. Um, we know that Jonathan, as the son of Saul, uh, that he loves his father. We know from 1 Corinthians that love hopes all things, love endures all things. Uh, we know that uh, Jonathan had a responsibility to honor his father, but he's also somewhat misled in terms of what uh, Saul's actual feelings and intentions are. David later then says in verse 3, he says, but there's a step between me and death. And Jonathan then claims and says, whatever you say, I will do it for you. Okay? There's, there's not a better claim that a friend can make, not a more loving and unselfish claim that a friend can make is that whatever you need, I will do it for you. We can see from David's life here that when he says there's a step between me and death, He's really fearing, feeling discouraged. Uh, he knew that Saul tried to kill him, and it seemed that Saul wouldn't quit until he was dead. This should be a reminder to us, even though David was discouraged, confused, and questioning God's plan, he had been anointed by a prophet, he had been brought into the king's home, he had slayed a giant, and he had won many military victories. Now he was on the run and he was a fugitive. We cannot question God's plan or the truth of his word based on our circumstances. And even King David became discouraged. God has already won the fight, and he's victorious. We need to be reminded that sometimes God's plan is not our plan. It's not always quick, and it's not always the plan we want, but it's God's plan. Uh, coming down to verse 5, um, this is the part where uh, they start to, to issue the plan, right? So from a, from a really high level, 
uh, they have these deep friendship conversations all throughout and some very important commitments and, and important language. But really, this is all about formulating a plan to see how, if Saul is still angry with David. So they formulate the plan, they have some deeper discussion, then they actually, throughout the narrative, they explain how the plan is carried out, and then at the end is the result of the plan. So uh, as we go down to 5 to 11, we're just really explaining uh, the plan as it lays out, and David says, let me go that I might hide myself to the third day. So we don't know if he's just out and out trying to uh, lie and come up with a plan, or whether he actually wants to go home to this festival and then meet with Jonathan on the third day. But either way, it's a plausible plan. It's something that his oldest brother, uh, Eliab, would have potentially invited him to, and it's plausible that, you know, based on rank, he could have sought the permission from Jonathan. So whether it's a lie or not, it is a plausible plan that, you know, they could carry out to find out whether Saul was actually uh, still angry or not. Uh, we see in verse 8, he says, but if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself. Um, so, again, we go back through this difficult discussion where these two men are pitted at odds. Uh, there's a, a kingdom, right, at, at hand here. So, um, we see through life where Satan sets up these situations where we are in opposition to each other. And these two guys, I believe, do the best example and the best job that we can look at through this. We know that in real life, we see siblings, parents, people pitted against each other all the time. Uh, it's easy to see the example when somebody passes away and people are trying to divide the inheritance. There's, there's brothers, sisters, families that are broken apart over $2,000 over grandma's favorite lamp, right? There are brothers and sisters at age 55 that still have some internal angst against each other because mom gave the big brother the middle cinnamon bun or more meatballs when they split up the SpaghettiOs. Whatever it is, there's a lot of this human angst that goes around and people just let it, let it lie. They don't clarify it, they don't affirm it, they don't discuss it, they don't get after it. And if you think about the magnitude of what David and Jonathan are going through here, they are constantly under threat, not just from Saul, but they're military men. They're constantly out there in battle. Uh, David had the courage to go against Goliath. Uh, Jonathan, by helping David, is putting himself at risk and, and really alienating himself or, or putting himself in risk with his father. Uh, and David has to trust that Jonathan's not going to turn around and kill him or turn around and hand him over to his father. So you've got to figure, from a stress perspective, a human perspective, this is a field day for Satan. And I, I think we can learn from watching the way that these gentlemen are committed to each other, committed to the truth, and committed to the Lord, how we should handle our day-to-day -day situations, especially when we are, find ourselves in situations where we could be in opposition with others, especially loved ones. see here. So uh, moving on down uh, chapter, I'm sorry, uh, verse 12, Jonathan makes this claim, says, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness, right? This is where a lot of the power comes from. He continues to put God in front of everything. Like the reason that this commitment works, the reason this friendship works is because these guys continue to put everything before the Lord. 
everybody makes promises. Everybody says things, you know, uh, I'll pick you up at 9. They get there at 9.15. The commitments that are before the Lord are what are powerful, right? And the same way people make those commitments when they walk the aisle, the same way they make commitments, um, you know, in, in baptism and in dedication services, things like that, the commitments that you make before the Lord are powerful. And the way that these guys do it in their friendship is very powerful. Jonathan later then says, go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Jonathan, again, as a, big, as a good friend, as a, a committed friend, he is also trying to give him encouragement, saying that if this doesn't go the way we want it to go, if you are a fugitive, if you have to be on the run, if you can't come back, the Lord will be with you, and you can be sure of it. And David only need be reminded of everything that happened up through that date, everything that we looked at on the first few slides to, to remember that. So now... Jonathan has proposed how they're going to do this activity, like how Jonathan's going to help him. And then in 14, he kind of transitions, and he, he makes an ask. He, he asks something of David. And he says, If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I might not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. They're well aware of the political dynamic that at that time in history, if you were taking over a throne, it's commonplace to basically kill all of the outstanding relatives or anybody that could make a claim to that throne. So from what was culturally normal at that time, that would have David, when he takes the throne, wiping out everybody of Saul and Jonathan's bloodline. So this is a, a reasonable ask, right? And again, this is something that is completely unique because of the way that their situation is in opposition to each other, yet they're still able to, to maintain this godly friendship. So Jonathan makes him swear again, and we know from uh, fast-forwarding to 2 Samuel 9, David absolutely fulfills this promise. Uh, David reaches out and shows kindness to the crippled son of David, Mephibosheth, which should always be the final word in any spelling bee. <laughs> he, says, uh, he says in 2 Samuel, David says to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should regard for a dead dog such as I? And I found it very interesting because that language he uses at the end of that verse, that you would show regard for a dead dog such as I, is very similar to the humility that David shows when Saul would have him as a son-in-law. And he says, who am I that... I would be uh, the king's son-in-law. So a very similar humility. Um, David also shows kindness and respect for Jonathan by retrieving the bones of Saul and Jonathan from the Philistines later as well in 2 Samuel. So now they're at the point where 
Jonathan kind of explains the, the proposed signal, um, you know, the formalities of the plan. They go into the whole nature of shooting the three arrows. Um, you know, if they're this, on this side of you, then that means it's well. If they're beyond you, then that means we have an issue and Saul is still angry. So this was a very critical time in his life. You know, either he was going to be welcomed back to the palace or he was never going to be allowed to go back again. Um, so now comes the action, right? Uh, when I was a kid, I used to love the Rocky movies, but on the old VHS tapes, I would have to fast forward because after you see the drama once, you just want to get to the fight, right? Um, so now we know all about the arrows and everything. This is the fight, right? This is Clubber Lang right here. Um, so Jonathan sits with Saul, and the first day, there's, there's nothing going on. There's... We don't see anything. Um, the second day, Samuel, or I'm sorry, Saul notices. He says, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal? So Jonathan answers, David earnestly asked me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clans hold a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. Again, this is a plausible excuse. And in verse 30, Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. And if you play audio Bibles, this is a little bit bolder and harsher in some other, other uh, versions in ESV. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? So he is just really trying to, even attacking Jonathan's mom, even though it's his wife, uh, really trying to get under Jonathan's skin and attack him because he's so prideful and upset about the potential of David being king. He's so jealous of David. But Jonathan then responds and says, well, why should he be put to death? What has he done? And you see here, this is not blind support for David. It's not blind support for Saul. This is Jonathan acknowledging what truth is. He's saying, what did David do? Did David do anything? Um, it's funny that Saul says, you know, he shall surely die. And if you remember just from one week ago, in 1 Samuel 19, 6, he says the complete opposite. As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. That ended up being true. He shall not be killed. He lives to a, an old age. Um, but Saul certainly uh, switched his position pretty quickly. Again, so Jonathan commits to the truth here. Why should, why should he be killed? It's not necessarily blind faith on either side. It's just necessarily doing what's right. He also has a little bit more of this uh, family blindness here where he does something that's not ever highly recommended. He tries to reason with a madman. So if any of you guys have ever confronted somebody on their sin or really tried to get real with people that are bogged down in sin, you know, especially unrepentant sin, um, as a Christian and as a, a hopeful heart, a lot of times we go into these things and say, you know what, if I just help them see that they have problem A, B, and C, they will obviously then see it my way and repent. And the way it really happens in most times is when somebody has a really hard heart like Saul, their response is to want to throw a spear at your head. So, I mean, it's one of those things that we need to be wise when we go into those situations to say, who are we dealing with? Have I bathed this in prayer? What is the truth of the events that have led up to this time 
uh, because Jonathan puts himself in a pretty rough spot right here. So now they're at the point where Jonathan's carrying out this plan. He knows that Saul is angry. He knows it didn't go the way he had hoped. He knows David can't come home. So they go out, and he says to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to the master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. So only Jonathan and David knew, but at this point, that one little small signal changed David's whole life. Uh, We know that sometimes our life can change um, from the smallest little thing one night with the wrong crowd, could land you in a rest record. Uh, one time behind the wheel when you shouldn't be there, could end a life. Cancer diagnosis, anything, right? Uh, it's often doesn't seem fair that such a small thing uh, can have such a big impact on the life, but it, it's, our lifetime is made up of nothing but endless amount of small moments. All the big moments, all the, the big picture is made up from all these little smaller times. So now, David and Jonathan have to deal with this. They have to deal with what they just found out. And it's interesting to see um, they immediately then, again, bring it back to their Lord, to their covenant. Um, He says, in the name of the Lord, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So this is an extremely sad uh, event. Just even, even when you know that David becomes king, and even when you know Christ is from the line of David, seeing the friendship that they have and then seeing the way it plays out, it's, it's somewhat heartbreaking. Um, they weep together. They loved each other. They had a strong bond of friendship. Uh, if you think about how friendships usually occur, it's usually common interest, right? And one of the beautiful things about Christianity is you don't have to have the same sports team, the same hobbies, whatever. If you have Christ in common, you have enough to be friends. Um, But you also, you know, as you're growing up, kids that are in the same class, kids that grow up in the same house together, kids that play on the same sports team together, people that are in the military together, all these common battles and common struggles really knit people together. You got to think, Jonathan and David have one of the strongest godly friendships that we're aware of, and they've been to battle together so many times. Their friendship is just unique uh, in every way, and now this message has pointed them to a point where they know they have to separate. David won't return to normal life again until Saul is dead and he becomes king. Uh, He would see Jonathan one more time before his death. Uh, their final meeting takes place uh, in 1 Samuel 23, verse 7, uh, and, and also later in that chapter. But he says to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. So here he's admitting and his knowledge that, that David will be king 
but the tragic part there is that he really thought he would be next to him, he would be with him. Uh, obviously, the impact as a mentor, the impact as a friend uh, is not lost. David becomes a great king, um, and, and God has used Jonathan to help him get there. But it's very sad to hear that um, you know, Jonathan would not be with him for, the, for that period of time. Um, and, and in terms of when we read it quickly at a glance, it's like, okay, David's still on the run. That's sad. David's on the run I, for over 10 years, I think, after this point. He ends up going to 16 different places before this resolves itself. This is only the third stop of 16. Uh, so this is, not, um, this is not a quick thing. This is not something that blows over in a couple weeks. And we know that there's 73 psalms out there that David wrote, and um, you can see his pain and his despair through a lot of them written throughout Scripture. So in closing, I want to kind of focus on the three things and how we can apply that to our life. Uh, commitment to each other. Proverbs 18 says, There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Cannot undervalue Christian friends. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So how can we be committed to each other? We can affirm each other. We can tell people how we feel about them. We can be loyal to them. We can speak truth to them. And we can really focus to ensure that Satan does not get into our relationships. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We need to examine ourselves and examine our relationships so that we can be on guard for that. Commitment to the truth. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirits, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. Uh, I, I really honestly believe this is one of the most influential verses that you can come across, speaking the truth in love, even if you just take the three words, truth in love. God loved us that while we were still dead in our sin, he saved us. God loves us unconditionally. So we need to, every chance we get, model God's unconditional love, but he's also a God of perfect justice, and we need to model that absolute truth. And speaking the truth in love is a very difficult thing to do, but it's an absolute must. And lastly, a commitment to God. Matthew 10, Jesus I'll skip down to 37 here. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. We know that it's really important. God has to be first priority. People always discuss, you know, okay, it's God, spouse, children, family, church, friend. Well, you know, you can argue all you want and search scriptures about what's two, three, four, five, and six. There's no question that God is to be number one. It's all throughout the scripture, um, and we need to be reminded of that, that is evident throughout Scripture. So, was David in God's will? God often has people on a tough path. If you think of Job, Joseph, Paul, and even Jesus, uh, they're probably not on paths that they would have chosen for themselves. Probably didn't play out the timing that they would like, 
but they were absolutely in God's will and doing God's work. So again, I remind us, we cannot let our circumstances get us discouraged and forget the gift that we have in Jesus. We need to encourage each other, seek godly friends, speak the truth in love, trust the truth of God's word, and keep God our first priority. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, God, and just pray that um, you would lay it on our heart this week that uh, we would see how you would have us to be a better friend, God, that you would have us to um, seek your truth and your word, Lord. We just thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.